Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get started. If you're anything like me, your health is very important to you. I know you listen to the show for tips to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Well, I have some great news for you. James Miller Lifeology has partnered with BioOptimizers Nutrition. As an avid nutrition and exercise enthusiast, I thought I knew a lot. But after taking a 12-week health course BioOptimizers offers and implementing their supplements, I noticed a huge difference in my energy and my digestive tract. Since you're a listener of Lifeology Radio, BioOptimizers is offering you the same 12-week course absolutely free. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash supplements to take this free course. Here is a sample of what you'd learn. How to get 70% more energy in 30 seconds or less. The ultimate key to high performance, health, and longevity. How to turn the tide against uncontrollable food cravings. How to select the most powerful supplements for you. How to stay lean and trim without sacrifice. The simplest and fastest way to detoxification and great skin. And much, much more. To get access to this awesome health course, simply go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash supplements and sign up today. Once again, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash supplements or simply go to jamesmillerlifeology.com. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you rediscover your quality of life. I'll also be interviewing renowned thought leader, CEO, and executive coach, Todd Palmer, who shares his wisdom and how he helps his company create their work culture. For more information about Todd, please visit ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me anytime on iHeartRadio as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. Are you struggling today to find your purpose? Has mediocrity set in and you can't imagine doing the same thing for the rest of your life? Are your relationships struggling or you aren't sure how to make long lasting changes in your life? Then today, contact me, James Miller. I will help you recognize the areas in your life that are going really well. And then we'll look at the areas in which you are struggling. We will create actionable solutions to help you create long lasting changes in your life. You don't have to do this alone. Go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out the form and it will be sent directly to me. Don't let another day go by without finding your way. Your change can start today. Once again, go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out that form to get started today. Rediscovering your quality of life. Many of us dream of our retirements of what we would do. We often dream of perhaps being on a beach somewhere and just relaxing under a palm tree. The reality is retirement may be far off for many people. So in the meantime, what do you do? Many of us don't realize that the time investment that we have right now determines our quality of life tomorrow. For example, if I decide to invest four weekends full of marathoning TV shows and eating pizza, well, at the end of that time frame, my quality of life is going to be different. I'll have gained weight. Perhaps my muscles will have atrophied a bit. But I inadvertently or subconsciously created my quality of life by engaging in certain activities. The time investment that you put in each thing you do determines how you feel, how you think of the world around you, how you think of your future. Another example would be if I continually date people over and over again and my heart is broken and I continually ask myself, why does this keep happening? Well, my metric of success, in other words, the time investment that I put in this, I've created a quality of life where I'm continually heartbroken. Think of it this way. Each one of us define metrics of success. Consciously, we think of success as having a great job, perhaps having your own house, 
having your own car, making lots of money. In other words, what we invest our time and our energy in is often very different than what we consciously think. If I continually invest my time in buying snacks and junk food, well, unfortunately, my metric of success is to gain weight. I'm successful at gaining weight. If my metric of success is to date people that I know are not healthy for me, well, unfortunately, I've been successful in dating unhealthy people for me, and my future will seem bleak. Another example, if I continually spend money on frivolous things that I really don't need, well, I've been successful in not managing my money correctly. It's really important for us to line up our metric of success with what we actually do with our life. When we do this, our quality of life changes significantly. Sometimes people aren't aware of the quality of life they'd like to achieve. So what I often have them do is look at the certain type of emotion you would like to experience all the time. For example, if I continually find my life in chaos, well, unfortunately, all the actions and all the energy output is going towards creating a life of chaos. So I would ask you, what is the emotion that you would like to experience in life? For example, is it joy? Is it peace? Perhaps it's both. So the challenge today is to ask yourself, what am I doing to engender peace, to engender joy? Are each of my actions giving me that outcome? Am I being successful with my metric of success? And if you find that you continually engage in behaviors that you just know aren't healthy for you, unfortunately, your subconscious metric of success is overriding your conscious metric of success. And you'll allow yourself to continually engage in those negative behaviors and not even come close to the life you could have. Many of us don't even realize that what we want in life versus what we do in life are completely different. So my challenge for you today is really to find that what would you like out of life? And are your actions equal to that outcome or are they leading you towards the outcome you'd like in life? So before you engage in any activity, ask yourself, is this going to bring me joy? Is this going to bring me peace? And if it is, by all means do it. But unfortunately, if it's not, you may want to reconsider that because remember, each action opens a door for the next action. And pretty soon, you may be in a different path than you originally thought. Your quality of life starts today. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? That's actually how Lifeology started. I have well over 155 episodes that I've created specifically for you. I do know that many people struggle with listening to a full 30-minute show. So these episodes are about three minutes long. Each episode will give you a practical tool or technique that you can practice daily to help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. Simply go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com, or go to YouTube and search for my name, James Miller Lifeology. Tal Palmer is a renowned thought leader, CEO, executive coach, and author who's committed to improving lives. As a successful entrepreneur and business owner, he works with both individuals and companies to support corporate growth, foster business startups, and guide leaders in the areas of talent management, workforce planning, and organizational development. Welcome to my show, Todd. James, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. One of the questions I always like to ask um, experts in leadership and development is, as a child, did you always have, or did you have that talent yourself? Wow, you don't. No one's ever asked me that question. You know, it's it's a really it's an interesting thing. I don't I don't when I recall back, I don't think I really did. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the classical sense of the charismatic leader, uh-huh. what what I think I I brought to the table even as a child is I kind of had a strong direction of where I wanted to go. Okay, um, always wasn't sure how to get there, and had a little bit more of the rugged individualist attitude. I think that's partially why I became an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to being a, a leader, like in sports, um, I, I like to play quarterback. I like to you know, pitch for, for baseball. Um, and if there's a free throw to be shot at the end of the game, I was comfortable with that type of pressure, comfortable with that type of, of role. But when it came to being you know, the social leader, I wasn't the first kid in my school to throw a party. How about that? 
Okay, very interesting. Okay, yeah, because it's it's funny because most individuals who I talk to, their their I guess their leadership development skills didn't really come out until just after high school. So it sounds like you had your own version of that, and you can see definitely manifestations of that as you grew older. So that's that's very interesting. Just just curious. I always like to ask uh, my my guests that question. <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. So you have been on um, Inc. Five thousand six times. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it's a really interesting uh, experience because certainly the first time you make the Inc. 5000, you're thinking, holy cow, you know, I've kind of reached the pinnacle. This is is pretty cool to be one of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the United States. Then happens again and happens again. Mm. And it it was a really interesting experience from the perspective of people would contact me or media or, you know, schools or, or groups. Hey, will you please come and talk to us about success? And I really shied away from it for a long time because I knew myself pretty well. And I, I recognize that in order to, to reach that level of success, there was, gosh, there must have been a decade of failure in front of it. Mm, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like uh, talking to an athlete or talk, you know, watching a movie like a Rocky movie or something like that where, oh, my gosh, the, the last 20 minutes of it, you know, he, he beats his opponent or, or <laughs> that 20-year that, uh, overnight success kind of thing. Yeah, and that's all they see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, and that's what the world sees, and that's what Inc. promotes, and that's fine. Um, but for me, it was really interesting when I when I did sit down with the people from Inc. and some other media outlets was to tell them the story of how we got there. And really, we, it came from a lot of you know unfortunate learning opportunities at times, some some decisions that were painful, and to really pivot off of those and and then to, to turn the company with the help of a great team into a successful entity was was certainly more of a a long play journey, not just a a, a quick uh, quick startup to success story. When you made the list the first time, of course, which is which is amazing, and then the the subsequent times that it happened, was there a part of you that, that it, it was almost like? Oh my gosh, what happens if we don't make it the next time and the next time? Was there this, this, I guess, this frenetic concern that you had within you? So the first time I made the list, I, I was ecstatic and, and it was a, a quite the accomplishment considering where we had come from. We made the list in 2007. In 2006, we were in pretty bad shape. The company was uh, $600,000 in debt, oh my gosh. 60, days, 60 days away from running out of cash. And I walked in and fired the entire company and started over because I was not doing a good job as a leader. I was suffering from immense depression and the imposter syndrome. So to, to make the list for, for one time was, holy cow, I can't, you know, talk about a phoenix rising from the ashes. So the, the next, times we, we, next time we made it was, especially during the recession, was really um, more of, of focusing on steady growth and, and keeping the train on the tracks as compared to getting all um, – all up in the thought process of we've got this all figured out because the reality is business pivots and changes quite a bit and nobody has it all figured out for a sustainable period of time. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you were able to really focus on the elements of we don't have it all together because I think sometimes <laughs> that's when, what do they say? Pride come, goes before a fall <laughs> in the sense of when, when one company feels that they have it all together. For example, you think of Blockbuster and nothing against Blockbuster, of course, because it was an amazing company. But when Netflix went to that and said, we have this opportunity to stream a video to people's homes and Netflix and Blockbuster was like, oh, we've got this, you know, it, it's not going to work. And then as we know, Netflix is pretty prevalent right now. And unfortunately, Blockbuster has gone out of business. So it's the same type of thing when, when one company feels as if they have everything, they know it all and i'm sure that they do but just like you said earlier business can i guess what everybody needs the culture of of business can change and it ebbs and flows and things 
that were relevant one day are not relevant the next day. So it's so good to hear that you had that, that level of humility to be able to recognize that there's so much more that you could learn and so much more that your company could profit from. Well, yeah, as an entrepreneur, I've discovered that pride and the ego really don't care. And <laughs> a, a certain sense of humility is important. And the best decisions are often not yours. The best ideas are not always the entrepreneurs. Certainly there's that, that sense of you know leadership and, hey, I know we're going to go in that direction. I'm not really sure how we're going to get there as a team, but just trust me, we'll, we'll grind our way through. And there's a lot of grind involved. And to the point of you know the, the stress and frustration paralyzes people. And I was paralyzed. Mm. And I recognized that the thing I needed to do was to really ask for some help and some assistance to, re, to resume being humble. So I, the, I hired a coach. And I couldn't afford him, but I promised him, I said, I will pay you off my credit card if I have to, and I'll pay you before I pay myself because I realized I got myself into this. I got to get myself out of it, and I need some help. So that was where that rock bottom moment was really the, the, the first step in getting the company to, to the 85000 and that's that's really amazing. I, I really once again it goes back to that sense of humility as well, because so many times entrepreneurs we have this amazing ideas and we we think we know it all and we have all this excitement and which is absolutely important. But if we are not as well versed in some of the I guess the business acumen or just different elements of our of our of our field, then yes, we definitely can go astray from that. So I'm so glad you're able to hire that coach. But I wanted to go back to what you said earlier, that you fired your company and started over. Tell us more about that. It was really, in a, it, talk about a humbling experience. Oh man, I, um, so I mean, the, the reality is this, I picked the team, I put a, I put a leader in, in charge mm -hmm. and I trusted, but trusted without inspection, trusted without metrics. And it, went from doing really well to doing really poorly in a very, very short period of time. Mm. Um, and it recognized that, you know, I'm running out of cash anyways. I got to do some things different. And the culture is very dysfunctional. The, the team is, is not where it needs to be. I had hired a lot of people with staffing industry experience, and it wasn't what the company at the time needed. So I, I pivoted off of that, switched to hiring for DNA, not for resume. And I realized that, I have to take take the wheel again. I have to instill the culture that we need because the culture was toxic and we need it to, to change. And what happens, I found a lot with, with teams that are in place, those teams often are very reticent to change. This group was very res reticent to change. But the, the indicators and the compass, compass was pointing in a different direction than which we were going because the direction we were going was right off the cliff. That's just not uh. That's not well, obvious. Not at all. And you know, it's it, it, but it was a very, very painful day. But it's one of those days where I thought I would never tell anybody that story. Now here I am talking about it on the radio because it was one of the biggest learning opportunities of my yeah. professional career. And I think that's where so many people, you know, like you said, you know, you had you realize that earlier you just talked about, you know, the whole Rocky element where he's fighting at the very end and he wins. Yeah, but people don't see all behind the scenes. They don't see all that as well. So yeah, so, so thank you so much for sharing that and being transparent with that. You had mentioned earlier, I just heard you say that you hire for DNA, not re not uh, resume. What does that mean? You know, that, that means for us, we really don't want to hire people with a tremendous amount of staffing industry experience unless it's really stellar, great experience and they've got a proven track record of success. It's easier for us to, to take a great human being and to teach them to be a great recruiter, to take a great person who is part of our team, part of our culture, part of how we do business and, and help them achieve the things that they want to achieve in life. So, for example, we 
you know, we have a, a part of our interview process is called the American Idol Round, where I'll, I'll meet, you know, I'll be like the producer of the show. I'll meet with the, the candidate first and foremost for 15 minutes to half hour. Then I'll turn them over to three of their peers. And those peers then will interview the candidate and their their vote counts just as much as mine. And if we can't get, you know, all four of us on the same page, we don't make that candidate an offer. And you think, wow, that's a really, you know, you're the owner of the company or the CEO, you're, you know, you're out there talking and speaking, you're business coaching, you should know what you're doing. Well, the reality is this, better ideas come from a team and they're the ones doing the work and they're the ones that are going to have to sit with this other employee every single day through the good and the bad, the highs and the lows. And I feel that they need a contribution to that process and they got to really work with that person. And then they got to make sure they can teach that person how to be a great recruiter and their, their feet on the street aspect is key to getting it right. Exactly. I mean, because if, if people know they can't work together, I mean, I've been, I remember years ago, I was, I was part of this um, interview process as well. And so none of the people I'm on the, the same level as me um, felt this person was a great candidate, but the boss was like, oh, this person's great and overrode all of us. That person was a thorn in our side. And um, it was probably one of the worst experiences. In fact, all three individuals who were on that that panel, including myself, we all ended up leaving. And that other person that was not, in our opinion, was not the best candidate, stayed there and to this day is still there and is still a thorn in everybody's side. <laughs> Once again, nothing wow. against anybody else, but yes. Um, and then, yeah, that, that manager ended up leaving as well, but was still very proud of proud of her um, proud of her hiring process. But yes, lost three amazing candidates um, ourselves or that you know that were on that <laughs> hiring process. But yes, I will never forget that. That was probably a very that was a very difficult um, hiring process for me as I was part of that as well. So, yes, so it makes me think of that. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because basically that, that decision then broke apart a team. Yes, a very powerful. Oh, I, I like to think of very powerful. But yeah, we all had amazing strengths. And in the psychological world, it's really, really good to have people who have some really good strengths in, in a unit like that. So it was, it was really sad, very unfortunate, but kind of like the dream team, like we called it. In fact, let me back up. There's actually three more people that were not part of the process who were part of our team. Um, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners, all that as well, who ended up leaving. Um, in fact, I guess all six of us left because of this person. And so, yeah, I totally broke the team up. So yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway, regardless of that, yeah, that's definitely what happens. Um, I can definitely see that, but so glad that you are a part of that, that you are able to really, um, allow your team, allow your staff to be part of that hiring process, which is, which is really important. Well, it's taking it a step further. I think even hearing what your team went through is if people are empowered by the leaders to be able to give their input and their input is taken seriously when it comes to vital decisions, like who's going to be on your team. I mean, that's, I think so important. You know, when I work with, with organizations now talk about the four key areas of business, you've got, you know, cash strategy, execution, and staff. All those four categories, those decisions are driven first and foremost by people. People make those decisions and teams make those decisions of how to use the cash, what is your strategy, who should be on the team and who should not stay on the team. And it's so vital for me to, to get that kind of buy-in with the groups I work with, combining with getting the leaders to always be comfortable speaking last when it comes to big decisions, because I often find there's going to be a group think in the room. You're going to get the leader's going to speak. He's going to give you his opinion and you're going to have yes, yes, men or women in the room. You're going to maybe have a devil's advocate, but by and large, if the strongest personality in the room speaks first, 
that's often the, the route the mm-hmm. teams take versus the best route for the organization, which may not necessarily be that idea from the CEO. And wh- how do you think there's, or why do you think there's been a difference? Or it sounds like you're really helping people make a difference between the the, the historical aspect of the trickle down effect, as far as the the head person, the hierarchy, the hierarchical aspect of you have the boss, and then everything goes by what he says or she says, and it trickles down. How do you think that that's been changing, or why do you think that that just doesn't work anymore? You know, I think a lot of it has to do with the millennials, and it's not going to be that blanket answer of us versus them, the old guard versus the new guard. There is a reality that millennials see the world differently. They want to be included and their voices be heard in big decisions. They want to work in teams. They want and demand work-life balance. You know, for our recruiting company at Diversified Industrial Staffing, I can get a machinist who possibly is, you know, 60 years old to work Saturdays and Sundays and work overtime because that's just how he's built. That's mm-hmm. how he's, quote unquote, always done things. I'm not going to get a 25-year-old machinist to do the same thing on a consistent basis. They just want work-life balance. And in exchange for that work-life balance, they're willing to give up money for freedom and flexibility. So that's oh, been interesting. a big Combine that with now you got the millennials talking to their parents. So my son's 27 and he and I've had this conversation where he's willing to forego potential financial gain for work-life balance, freedom and flexibility. And he's a CPA. So it's not like, you know, he doesn't have tons of opportunity to bill a lot of hours. He can bill as much as he wants. There's a shortage of CPAs in the accounting field. He's willing to forego that. So he's talking to me. He's like, hey, dad, I want to go. I want you to come out. He lives in California. I want you to come out. Meet me in Arizona. Let's go hiking in the mountains. Hey, meet me here. Let's go do this. Hey, I'm going to come home. Let's do that. Well, I don't want to miss out on those opportunities. Yeah, exactly. I want to enjoy his time. Hmm. Maybe I'm not going to work Saturdays and Sundays anymore either. So that there, I think there's that reverse stream effect of those millennial conversations with their parents that are now shifting the world of work. I don't, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. I really like how you reframe that because I know so many times, you know, millennials nowadays can get the the, the brunt of so many negative things, like oh, those are millennials. But I really like how you you shift it, and I hear it a very healthy way that work life balance is true. I know for me, um, I, I a little bit about a little bit about my background is I had a very uh, prominent practice in the Washington D.C. area, and for me, I was like, you know what, I'm doing well, but I'm just not fully happy. So I guess I took that millennial approach as well and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give my practice up, maybe see a couple clients here and there, and I'm going to come down to Florida and I'm just going to start over and see what happens. And that's what I did. And here I am, you know, two, two and a half years later and have a national radio show. But my point in saying that is when you, when you trade in what used to work versus I want a quality of life or the metric of my success is going to change, it really helps you Re-identify what is really important to you, and so I like hearing how you really use that in the in the in your in your corporate staffing as well. As far as what let's let's change that metric of success. Let's change that metric oh. of how what works and what what's functional and what's what is what is our true goal as opposed to let's just hire another person. I, th- I think it's an awesome way. I, I, first of all, I, I commend you and applaud you for your your, your shift in life focus. <laughs> Thank you. Your, your focus on self. You know, I and I and I, I actually I t- was telling some students uh, I did I spoke at a school once, and they said, you know, how do you define success? And I said, you know, let me tell you how I used to define success. Uh, how much money can I make? Mm-hmm. Where can I live? Uh, all the trappings. And I said, you know, why did I why why did I define it that way, guys? I said I define it that way because 
I was empty inside. Mm-hmm. I had a hole inside. I had that black hole that a lot of entrepreneurs have. I had that pain from, from childhood or wherever it came from that I wanted to prove something to somebody else. So now we made the Inc. 5,000 six times. The kids are saying, my gosh, you're, you should be ecstatic. You should be thrilled. I'm like, no, I'm not really. Because mm-hmm. that didn't feel what was in me. Here's, yeah. here's really how it pivoted and changed for me. And it's a quote that I, I give full, full complete uh, – compliment and, and credit to Anthony Robbins for it. And it helped me redefine what success meant to me. It's actually the screensaver on my computer. And it says this, success is doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want to do it as often as I want to go do it. And the key element, if you take a look at the subtext of that is none of that requires money. Exactly. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. Yeah. And that and that's what's so amazing, I think, because when you really recognize that, it's like, well, why am I why am I working so hard? Like in fact I, I currently have and I can't say too much, but I, I currently work with somebody who is a brilliant, brilliant person and gives so much to his or her company. But I'm like, to what end? You have no life. You have all these things you want to do, but you literally have no life outside of work. And and they just don't get it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if you just took a second to reflect you would be like, I realized my success or my success is not what I thought it was. And so I, I really hope my listeners hear this today is success is really what, just like you said, what that quote was, do, to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, with whom you want to do it. And that's just something greater than what anybody, than what I guess our, our forefathers always thought. But success is really what you want. And so... um I'm really appreciative that you're able to <laughs> share that with us. You know, typically how you how you actually use that w- when it comes to your own strategies with your companies, how you help them redefine what a, a, the culture is of an organization, um, how you help them all work together to work as a team. Because as that think tank that you said before, that creates that metric of success, which can launch any company beyond what they ever thought before. Well, I think you know the, the great thing about. The, the, the availability of information nowadays, the availability of radio programs like yours is people can hear these new ideas. And I remember I, I read a really powerful, quick snippet, you know, probably three page white paper on an interview that someone like yourself possibly had done with hospice workers. And it, it's cha- it literally this article changed my life. And it talked about how they define, you know, the things that people talk about when they know that they're at their end of life. And the number one regret they had was that they did not spend enough time with friends and family doing mm-hmm. the things they wanted to do. That they always thought, I'll do it when I retire. I'll do it someday. Someday sometimes doesn't come. Yeah. Tomorrow Whether you're comes, yeah. 85 or 25. So for me, that combine that that article that still resonates and sits in my heart today with the, the Tony Robbins quote, which talking with great people like you who've put into practice these kind of thought processes the world will be a better place. And you know what? With technology, we can work really hard in a 40-hour work week and get three times more done than we used to 15 years ago. <laughs> so can. it's not like productivity has to shift, but maybe, again, the, instead of being a slave to the technology, let's let the technology, let's let the new world work for us as compared to us working for it. Yes, I do. I completely agree with you. Well, unfortunately, Todd Palmer, we are out of time, but thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. If my listeners like to find out more information about you, all the amazing things that, you've, that you're doing, where would they find this information online? Yeah, you know, the great, the best place to catch up with me is at extraordinaryadvisors.com. And I'm happy to offer this to you. Typically, I, I charge $1,000 for a, a consultation. I'm so blown away by our conversation. I'm inspired by our conversation. I, I'd like to offer to your listeners, anybody who wants an hour of my time on the phone, I'm, I'm happy to give it to you for free. Oh, wow. to, to, pay, to pay it back, to, to, to talk about whatever you'd like to talk about, whether it's business, whether it's human capital, anything I can add to your life, 
I'm willing to do that for your listeners for free just because I'm so inspired by our talk today. Go to my website, book book it on my calendar, talk with my assistant Kelly. Let's get this out there because you know what? At the end of the day, the legacy we leave with people is one of our, our greatest gifts to the world. And because of opportunities like our conversation today, I'd like to offer that to your listeners. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. Well, Todd Palmer, once again, thank you so much for being a guest on my show today. And also just thank you just for your great gift. Thank you and have a fantastic day. You do the same. I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today, or please go to my website where you may sign up for my free newsletter, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, or you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy where you can take self-directed courses which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. If you'd like to personally work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you soon.